All right. Well, let's get to the phone line. It's going to be uh, Lloyd and Faye and John. And Lloyd is up first. Good morning, Lloyd. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I've got a question about a chicken tractor. Okay. Is, when you have some chickens in a chicken tractor and they're, you move them around your yard or your garden or whatever, and, and they're eating pretty much strictly grass and weeds, is there an appreciable difference in the amount of nitrogen in their manure as it would be in chicken manure that you got out of a, a laying hen operation? Well, it probably is actually going to be more. You're probably going to find more nitrogen in there because it's not just the weeds. One of the big part of a chicken's diets are, are bugs. And uh, if you've ever watched a chicken chase a grasshopper around, rather humorous. And your laying operations and things like that, those diets are largely grain-based, things like that. I think you'll find that the uh, the natural manure that you get from, uh, and, and for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, a chicken tractor is basically a movable chicken coop that in, in big operations is actually dragged around periodically by a tractor. But no, I think you're going to find that... Uh, um, that the that the uh, poultry litter manure whatever you want to call it is going to be have pretty much the same if not slightly improved uh, especially in the micronutrient area uh, as compared to broiler litter at any time okay yeah that makes sense all right well that's about all i needed this morning and so you have a chicken tractor one or more Yes, sir. I just have one. Do you let I your chickens? Well, I put in my garden too. With these areas that I'm not using, the weeds are starting to come up. <laughs> so that'd be a good place to Abs- kind of double dip. Absolutely. Do you let your chickens free range during the day, or do they stay in the coop all the time? All the time they stay in the coop. Okay. All the time. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people do it both ways. Kind of depends on your situations and. Chickens are, you know, is despite the fact that we think of them as not being the most intelligent birds in the world, they are very trainable. And I know a lot of people who open the coops during the day, and as long as you don't have too many hawks around uh, or, or other varmints, uh, let the chickens free range and then coop them up at night. Uh, that's going to increase certainly the number of bugs and things that they eat. But in any event, I think you're going to find they're going to do a very good job of fertilizing the soil where you're where your chicken tractor sits a real good question yeah i'd like to leave them out more but they tend to go places other than where they're eating (laughs) (laughs) you know there's these there's always a downside to every every good little thing that we country people do in there yes sir sure is okay well thank you very much i appreciate my pleasure lloyd i appreciate the call thank you Bye. bye faye is up next good morning faye Good morning, Bob. Good morning. How are things in your part of the world? Are you you wet like the rest of us now? Yeah, we got a pretty good amount of, uh, probably an inch and a quarter where we are. We had a storm that came through, uh-huh. and uh, the alert, uh, you know, the alert went off on my phone, and uh, so we were on on television watching uh, watching some bad weather coming through, and fortunately, I don't think anybody had uh had a tornado or 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 
much of anything other than water. So well, water anyway, and, that was the night, yeah. <laughs> short night. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, it, and yeah, I, I have one puppy, one of my, well, both, my, neither of my dogs really like it, but one of them uh, just has to go in the pantry when we have a loud, boomy thunderstorm, which is what we had last night. But, man, it's just, like I always say, I've seen this country too dry a whole lot more than I've seen it too wet, and it sure is nice to nice to have a green spring for a change. Even here, the the top of the topsoil was getting pretty pretty dry, so we will we won't complain. Yeah, for sure. Well, how can I help you today? Well, just a few questions I've collected. One of which is if if I just let rain uh, collect in uh, one container, I've got where I can see this, but um, there's a white um, uh, ring the, uh, where where all that rainwater collects and then it dries out and it leaves a white. Uh, substance around around the edge. Does that mean there's something in our in our air, in our water, or even rainwater that uh, would would do that? It's what what kind of container are you collecting in? Metal or rosin yeah. or? It's a it's like a, a, a roaster uh, roaster um, um, enamel uh, pan. It's probably and something like, that is that is in in the pan rather than something that's in the rainwater um oh okay yeah i i don't think there's any problem with it but uh our rainwater is still pretty clean and pure and the kind of things that uh the rain picks up and you know there's some thought that even dust particles or what raindrops actually coalesce around um anything that is coming down actually in the rain is not the sort of thing that would be leaving a a ring in there um, so it's, it's either something that is getting in there after the container is filled or more likely it's a container itself that is forming some kind of little metallic oxide probably around there. But once again, uh, I, you know, you're not using this for drinking water, so I don't think there's any concern yeah. at all using it on your house plants or garden or anywhere else. Yeah. Well, thank you about that. There are chickens that would, uh, use it and so forth i have another question vinegars we often uh, on the program have information about the vinegars the two kinds mm-hmm. the uh, apple cider and uh i'm pr- i'm convinced that's the one we need to use but that one the white one that we buy right it's a store and it's used for food as well what's what's the origin of that it's a distilled that, it's actually a chemical product uh and they call it distilled vinegar uh, it's basically acetic acid, and I'm not the chemist to tell you exactly how they produce ex- acetic acid, but it is a it is a chemical reaction that is used to produce that vinegar. Whereas in the case of uh, your apple cider vinegars, uh, it's a natural fermentation that produces the apple cider vinegar. Same way, if you leave a bottle of wine sitting there too long, everybody always says it goes to vinegar, and yes, that is indeed what is forming through. Mm-hmm. Those, uh, and, and again, chemistry, I, I got by chemistry. I had to, to get a degree in biology, but let me tell you, I, it's, I, I will not claim great knowledge. And if my, uh, organic per- chemistry professor were alive today, he would be nodding his head in agreement. 
<laughs> I, I I had a challenge with chemistry as well. <laughs> yeah, I had the old uh, basic inorganic and all I, I didn't suffer with, but I had an organic chemistry professor that thought it was his job to weed out kids that weren't really quite capable of going to medical school. And I kept telling him, Dr. Mm-hmm. Jeske, I have no interest in becoming a doctor. I'm I'm in I'm a research biologist. I'm I'm into the natural world, a field biologist, and he eventually eventually passed me. So, uh, but I, I was partly out of out of the goodness of his heart and partly out of my hard work. But uh, anyway, I I can't tell you. Uh, perhaps we have a chemist out there somewhere who could give us a little bit more information. But the what they call distilled vinegar is an acetic acid product that is uh, produced uh, synthetically, whereas the Things like the apple cider vinegars are natural vinegars, uh, which occur through fermentation of uh, different fruits and vegetables and things like that. You know, um, uh, either one would uh, be helpful if you were cleaning uh, cleaning something. Is is that correct? Well, um, the the natural vinegars are actually going to have a lot more residues in there. You can certainly use them for cleaning but you're going to leave more of a residue around that's going to have to be wiped off. For cleaning purposes, uh, your distilled vinegar is probably better. But for gardening purposes, for purposes of your own health, I think the apple cider vinegar is a much, much superior product. But for cleaning, um, if I'm if I'm really looking to clean surfaces, and of course we have even more of a calcium issue here in the hill country than you do uh, over east of us but uh, i i probably would be going with the cheap old store-bought uh distilled vinegar for cleaning okay well and same way same way for the weed killer you know if, if we're going to be using it for killing weeds uh yes i'm not going to use my expensive apple cider vinegar i'm going to go out and buy the strongest synthetic vinegar i can find for weed killing sure Sure. Well, thank you for going over that. That kind of clarifies it a little bit for me. And I had one more question. Uh, got, I always have lots of them, but the, the tree ringing, um, like you mentioned, uh, go, taking a knife and going around. Uh, girdling. What is girdling is what we call it. Girdling. Yeah. Oh, okay. A uh, couple inches wide, is that right? Would that catch it? Uh, it yeah, two, two inches wide there? should do it, and you just want to get deeply enough into the trunk to uh, cut what we call the phloem tissue uh, the central core of most woody trees now you can't ring you can't girdle things like palm trees because they're a totally different structure but a woody tree the central core is what we call xylem that's a tissue that takes uh, water from the roots up to the top of the tree uh, the outer layer just underneath the bark and this is what we want to dis- disrupt is the tissue called phloem, P-H-L-O-E-M, that takes the nutrients that are uh, created in the leaves down to the roots of the tree, and that's how it kills. We girdle the tree, we we cut the little vessels that are keeping the roots alive, and over a year's time or so, the roots die, and then the whole tree dies. So, yeah, inch or two, or actually two to three inches wide would be ideal and deep enough that you've totally disrupted the phloem all the way around the, the uh, circumference of the tree. So about a year or so, and then the idea is then you can cut it down much easier than a live. uh, Well, the idea is it doesn't re-sprout. You know, you can cut down a hackberry tree, you can cut down an ash tree, you can cut down a lot of different things, and you'll have just a flush of new growth coming out from the base of the tree, and it gets harder and harder and harder to ever get rid of it. The 
thing about girdling is the tree is dead but doesn't really know it. And once the roots die, then just almost overnight, the top of the tree dies and it does not re-sprout. And uh, I think that is probably, uh, for me, that's that's the one of the nicest aspects of it is the tree is dead and gone. Now, you still have to deal with the stump that's left behind. But, uh, uh, you know, I've got hackberry trees around my garden and fence lines and things like that that I've probably cut them back 50 times, and they've re-sprouted 51 times. So if it's in a place where you can effectively girdle it, the nice thing is you only have to do it once. And the tree doesn't know it's dead until, you know, the the root system it totally runs out of nutrients, and then it just folds up and dies overnight. This is basically the same thing that happens when we pile moist soil around a tree and it just rots from the outside in. Uh, that process can take years, but it's why that once it starts happening, many times it's difficult to reverse. So uh, it's yeah, it's I, I'd say the number one reason is just because the trees don't re-sprout. Oh, okay. Well, I've got some candidates out here. So, uh, <laughs> if you run out of things, come over to my place and uh, and I'll I'll let you practice. Okay. <laughs> hey, I appreciate the call, and uh, it's a week early, but I'll go ahead and wish you a happy Mother's Day in case we don't talk okay. between now and then. I appreciate it very much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Bye. Mm-hmm. All right, my next two callers are going to be John and Susie, and John's up first. Good morning, John. Good morning. I tell you what, that was perfect time. It just got away from the drive-thru. <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, two questions. Uh, coal crops. So this is my first year running uh, all different types of coals. Okay. And uh, let's, to put it nicely, my cabbage looks like Swiss cabbage. Yeah. It's... And um, I have gone out there day and night trying to figure out what it is that's doing this. I can't find any insects. Well, the the most common culprit uh, is a little caterpillar. They call, obviously enough, a cabbage worm or a cabbage looper. And they're, they can be very tiny and still do large amounts of damage. Truth is, it's the end of the season on cold crops. I mean, it's it's time to pull them up. Um, they, you know, they grow through the winter months and the next thing you're going to see, and you will see lots and lots of these are something called Harlequin bugs, which are little beetles that just overnight, they go from zero population to 10,000. But, um, uh, the, again, you could control most of these things spraying the product of choice would probably be spinosad soap, but truth of the matter is we're just really to the end of the of the gardening season for cold crops and it's time to make your sauerkraut or do whatever you're going to do and uh replace them with warm weather things okay the the second question is is uh i got a Connecticut myself and i'm just wondering how long how many times have you had to replace your rosin bed i haven't now I don't run a huge volume of water through it. Um, I'm getting ready to install the second one that because, you know, I live in a house that's 110 years old. So let's just say plumbing is a bit unique and it was not possible for me to put in one softener to, 
you know, supply the entire house. So uh, my next one that goes in will be funneling a lot more water through it. But the the one that that basically services my washing machine and things that make their own hot water, um, I don't run a high enough volume of water through there that I have had to replace the rosin bed at all. But uh, give them a call. They are awfully nice people to deal with, and uh, yeah. they can give you a good answer about, uh, you know, what – what your expectation would be, and of course that's going to depend individually on your water. Are you uh, are you on a well, or are you uh, using? Yeah, I'm, on a, I'm, a, I'm on a well, and I'm pulling out of Cow Creek, so I know yeah. exactly how hard that water is. <laughs> yes, I do know. I do know a lot about the uh, Cow Creek Aquifer, the Middle Trinity, and uh, uh, what area are you in? Because really, it is interesting. We monitor. We being the Cow Creek Groundwater District, we monitor quite a few wells across the area, and it's amazing how the water quality changes from. Uh, one part of the aquifer to another uh, i'm in uh in candelia just okay just in town um and when you said old house my mom's house is the that old rock building so yeah it's uh uh you know it's a unique and historic place and uh I don't know. I just I I love what all those old communities stand for so yeah i i have you had to replace your rosin bed no that i'm get, i'm thinking that's what it is right now i i was I ran through trying to use the uh, the uh, non salt type yep. product. Yeah, I did. I did too, and it and it didn't work out as well. So yeah. I'm I'm back to the regular salt product. But and, uh, and even and I've gone back to the regular salt, and, and things aren't working exactly as they should. So. It's either the rosin bed or that top half is full of, full of stuff. Well, call the San Antonio office. Ask for Chris Knippa. And uh, nicest guy in the world. He will help you any way he possibly can. All right. I just wondered, as another user, what, what the, you saw. Yeah. I I did not find that the potassium salt worked nearly as well as I wanted, but in the place that I'm using it, I'm you know I'm not drinking that water or anything else, so I'm yeah. I'm back to the other, and things seem to be going well. Yes, that's I'm the same to, same way. All right. Thank you very much. My pleasure, John. Thanks for the good call. Yep. Susie's up next. Uh, Susie, then it'll be Don and Nathan. Good morning, Susie. Good morning. Good morning. I was wondering, what is the formula for uh, the diesel and molasses, I think, that kills wheatsatch in the field? Well, recognize that the diesel kills, the molasses is merely to clean up the diesel. I use about a 50-50 mix, but um, you could go you could go a little longer on the a little lighter on the molasses if you wanted to. But I use a 50-50 mix, and I just keep agitating, keep stirring or shaking, depending on whether it's uh, in something with a lid on it or most of the time it's just in a watering can, and I'm just going to be stirring with the stick and pouring it over that stump. I, I do cut. Uh, I deal more with mesquite than I do with Weesatch, but uh, I just cut it off as close to ground level as possible and pour uh, over the stump area, and how much you use depends on how big the blasted stuff was. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Very good. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, going to start out talking with Don and then Nathan. I've got a caller up on line number one. I'll get that name to you. Let me real quickly reiterate uh, four of the big events today that I just think you need to know about in case you want to plan your day around them. Um, our seminar this morning, 945, free of charge, is Donna's going to be talking herbs. And uh, if you want to learn from the lady who knows herbs, come on over. It's absolutely free. Coffee's on by nine. Her seminar will start about 945 at Shades of Green. Uh, the Mostly Native Plant Sale at the Kendall County Fairgrounds. Uh, 
quite an event. It has grown and grown and grown over the years. Uh, it runs nine to three. Now, if you're not a member of the Cibolo Nature Center, you'll pay five bucks to get in, but most of us are members and we get in absolutely free. The big deal that Saw's sponsors and gardening volunteers of South Texas put on is the Water Saver Landscape Tour. And this is a bus tour of several homes out in the Stone Oak area, five homes, I believe. I've seen the pictures uh, and these homes are absolutely magnificent. And uh, that is a another free event uh buses leave almost constantly from uh let's see it's the uh uh canyon uh canyon ridge canyon ridge elementary school is where the gathering is and it goes from nine this morning on in to end through the afternoon and this afternoon uh late afternoon eight or uh, four o'clock in the afternoon till eight in the evening the big fish fry up at uh, the Bernie Fire Hall up there supports the Bernie Volunteer Fire Department. And, uh, I mean, there's uh, there's bounce house for the kids. There's a live auction. There's raffles. And there's some real good fish and hush puppies up there. And uh, that's where I'll be after work today. I hope uh, you will make that part of the end of your day. If you're anywhere near the Bernie area, if you've never been to the to the main fire station, it's on Main Street, uh, oh, maybe half a mile north of uh, where 46 intersects. Uh, you know, there with the lake and uh, and all. I guess I should mention, too, uh, the one other thing, and I heard this on our KTSA News yesterday, uh, the huge uh, race that they're running up there, <laughs> which is just very tongue-in-cheek. Uh, it's a half K, and it goes from one pub to another pub. It's officially sold out. Uh, I guess there's, you know, if you want to go walk the route, you certainly can, and there's some very good beer to be had. But uh, uh, they, last year they called it the race for the rest of us this year i think they're just calling it a half k uh half k run or whatever but anyway that's going on this morning too and uh uh just lots of fun stuff going on up in the hill country to the phone lines don is up first good morning don good morning sir the subject is grass okay last year my saint augustine got wiped out with brown patch I just let it go, and I stopped fighting because I've been fighting it for years. I've called you several times before. The brown patch also jumped a concrete driveway into my neighbor's yard, so I know it's sitting in my neighbor's yard. Now, I still have a lot of St. Augustine left in my front yard, Mm -hmm. which is where I'm putting it down or putting down uh, replacement grass. And my question is, dealing with zoya okay i want to put zoya down and i've got about a third of my yard is now just dirt Uh uh-huh and about two-thirds is still excuse me saint augustine do i need to kill the saint augustine before i put the zoya sod down okay well now zoysia is going to have to grow in sun don't let anybody sell you zoysia grass and tell you it grows in the shade it will disappoint you big time in the shade so i've uh, got one side that may be uh, problematic on that but it gets decent sun but the front yard gets full full morning and some of it gets uh even full morning and afternoon okay well let me tell you just one or two more things about the zoysia and then we'll come back to uh the the question about whether or not to eliminate the saint augustine there are two general types of zoysia there is a broad-bladed zoysia and jammer j-a-m-u-r is most common one of those that is sold and then there is a narrow-bladed zoysia 
uh, or there are several narrow-bladed. The two most common ones are probably Emerald and El Toro. I would encourage I El Toro you... in my backyard. Okay. Uh, don't get the Jammer, because Jammer gets brown patch just as bad as St. Augustine does, and you're just trading one problem for another. But, okay. uh, you know, the whether or not... Which grass is going to dominate, the the uh, uh, El Toro or the St. Augustine? In an ideal world, which means lots of moisture, uh, St. Augustine will dominate. Uh, in South Texas, this spring, in fact, uh, well, I shouldn't say the whole spring, actually the past three or four weeks, we have gotten into a very wet pattern, which is very good for St. Augustine. And in high moisture conditions, St. Augustine would probably outcompete your zoysia. And if you believe that it's going to continue to rain and conditions are going to be ideal, then I would say get rid of the, uh, of the St. Augustine. In a real world where, where I live, whether I like it or not, I know that we're going to spend a lot of time in drier conditions. Uh, as I like to say, it's just one long drought interrupted by occasional floods. And in those conditions, your zoysia is going to be the dominant grass, and you certainly don't need to worry about any St. Augustine that's left behind. The other thing that I will tell you about St. Augustine is since it has no underground runners, you can very effectively eliminate it with a grubbing hoe. Now, I would want to be getting out and, you know, digging up an acre of St. Augustine with a grubbing hoe. But if your St. Augustine is not especially healthy to begin with, chances are the St. Augustine that is left behind, which is what you want to replace with the zoysia, um, it's going to be five minutes effort to clear the remaining St. Augustine out of a large area. So don't be turning to any of the strong chemicals or thinking you have to solarize it or go to any extremes. I mean, just a, a very small amount of uh, effort with a grubbing hose is going to get rid of any St. Augustine that could potentially be a problem. St. Augustine does not grow from seed, nor does it sprout from underground runners. So when you want to eliminate St. Augustine, it's a whole lot easier than it is with Bermuda and other things that you may have dealt with in the past. So uh, mm-hmm. long answer to a short question. Don't worry about the St. Augustine. If you've got big patches of it, yeah, two or three swipes with a grubbing hoe is going to be all you need to uh, get it out of there to where your where your new El Toro Zoysia is going to dominate. Okay, so the jammer is a no-no. Uh, you said there was a broad-bladed. And a narrow-bladed? Yeah, El El Toro is one of the narrow-bladed ones, and the other one that's commonly uh, planted is emerald. Uh, Years ago, I worked with a wonderful gentleman named Alton Grimm. We actually had several acres of zoysia. I spent my time behind the sod cutter. I'm... I can tell you all about both uh, growing, harvesting, and planting zoysia grass. And uh, emerald is still a very good grass. The the one thing I guess that I would precaution I would give you about all the zoysias is that they are not super fast-growing grasses, and they don't stand up to foot traffic real well. I mean, I uh, my my high school years, I lived with a yard that uh, had a permanently it's baseball diamond in the front yard because we had zoysia but uh mm-hmm. other than the grass it's it's an absolutely ideal grass it is a low maintenance grass it is uh the narrow bladed zoysias like el toro and emerald are disease resistant insect resistant and uh i think they're ideal grasses but if you've got small kids or big dogs uh, you're going to have some paths worn in the in the grass now, I have a big old oak tree in the front yard that has a huge canopy. Would the zoya survive 
uh, away from the trunk of that tree because um, he gets full sun in the morning. It's not going to be as full and thick as it is where it gets afternoon sun. Uh, for me, I would plant some sort of ground cover. I might plant the serratostigma. People call it dwarf plumbago, but it's not a plumbago. Or one of the other ground covers. Or, you know, I do some uh, shade-tolerant plants like holly fern or giant liriope or, um, you know, variegated ginger, gold dust acoub. I can think of a lot of things to plant underneath that tree that make beautiful beds. Um, you could plant turk's cap. You could plant beautyberry. It's just things a lot of things that i think are more interesting and lower maintenance that grass is going to be your your zoysia will survive but it will not be thick and pretty the way it will out where it gets afternoon sun okay uh brown patch uh you you haven't convinced me totally to go to zoya yet and i understand why because of the sunlight sure um on those on the brown patch i've been fighting this for years and I've done all of the, uh, the cornmeal types of stuff. Is there a point that it dies out on its own naturally from just the sun beating down on it when it is totally dirt? It, uh, you mean the, the fungal spores that cause the brown yes. patch? Yes. It is always going to, you know, there's going to be a very low level because a spore is a tough little thing that is hard to be totally rid of but uh in general brown patch thrives when we have cool nights warm days and high moisture and i i will tell you that i frequently see problems that are actually caused by grub worms or drought i see a lot of things that get called brown patch uh, where that's not really the major problem. So uh, if you are certain that what you have is the fungal disease, Rhizoctonia fulgens, I think is its uh, uh, full scientific name, um, you should be able to control it with, you know, the whatever fungicidal control you use. But again, I... I have people bring samples into the nursery constantly for me to diagnose their brown patch, and fully 80% of the time it's not brown patch. It's other really? issues that create brown patches in the yard. So I think brown patch is an avoidable disease, and I think it's frequently where it is indeed the cause of the problem. I think it's brought on by certain watering practices, certain fertilizer uses, uh, things like that. So um you have to first convince me that it actually was brown patch before i'm going to get carried away i I, texas tea is my fertilizer yeah uh i watering might be a problem because i don't have a sprinkler Mm -hmm. excuse me i water either by hand or i sprinkle at night Mm -hmm. uh, because that's what san antonio allows me to do is from seven to nine yeah. And in the mornings, and yeah, honestly, I don't get up that early. Well, quite honestly, that is a leading cause of the problem is watering in the evening. Because when the grass yes. stays wet as we go into nighttime, that is I the time that. fungi fungi thrive. So uh, uh, it, it may be brown patch. But again, um, uh, the, you said fungicidal control. 
What fungicidal do you use? Or I you I use I use a trichoderma. I use uh, either corn water or tea. But again, I don't have a St. Augustine yard anymore. I live in the country, live on a well, and have no surplus of water. So uh, my grass is pretty much either native grass or Bermuda grass. But when I lived with a St. Augustine yard, cornmeal totally took care of the problem for me. Hmm. Because I've 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 poured on cornmeal in the past with this, and it hasn't uh, over the years. I mean, last year I just I I gave up. I ran up the white flag. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I may dig up a part of my neighbor's yard and bring it in and let you look at it. Be happy to do so. The the giveaway on Brown Patch is the blade of grass where it joins the runner is going to turn brown and moist and if you lift up on the blade it pulls away very easily from what we call the stolen or the runner of the saint augustine but yeah, bring it by anytime be more than happy to take a look i'm usually at the which nursery location? but if i'm not there i'll take a look at it and call you back which location uh we only have one location shades okay. of green yeah it's sunset in, road in alamo heights uh alamo heights area we're actually north of alamo okay. heights but on sunset road there Okay, I know where it is. Okay, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. And All right, back to the phone lines. Nathan, Fred, Mike, and Tracy, and Nathan's up first. Good morning, Nathan. Good morning. Thank you for taking the call. Thank you for calling. Well, thank you, sir. Yes, sir. A couple questions. Uh, First off, uh, back in early February, the wife and I planted some snapdragons out at the ranch, and um, that came on real good. And uh, here about, I guess, last week, they well, no, let me back up. About a month ago, that some of them started leaning. They just had a lot of mass, and it just seemed, I don't know if the root system wasn't deep enough or, you know, it seemed we, we bought them about, oh, four to six inches in height when mm-hmm. we got them. Right. And uh, they came, once they got over about 18 inches, some of them started leaning. Now they're about 24 inches, and they're dying and leaning over well, you got a couple of things going on there. Uh, snapdragons are cool weather plants. You could have planted them back in October, and they would have bloomed all fall, grown through the winter, and then bloomed again in the spring. This is naturally the time of year that snapdragons die out. So as yeah, as the heat arrives, the snapdragons go away. Um, the other thing, snapdragons come in many different heights, all the way from little minis that only grow about four or five inches tall. They call those floral carpets. Uh, then they have some medium height ones that stop at eight to twelve inches. The sonnets, uh, oh, they're they're a bunch of different ones. The really tall growing ones are the rocket snapdragons, and that sounds like what you have. And weather tends to beat them up. Uh, I mean, when they grow these things commercially as cut flowers, they actually have what looks like a giant fish net that they have around the plants and they raise it and raise it and raise it and raise it to hold that stem upright so um, the getting beaten down that's texas weather and that's planting snapdragons uh if you if you'll stay with the shorter varieties that's not going to be an issue but that's just strictly weather related and the die out that just what comes as summertime approaches it's just the end of the growing season next year plant your uh, snapdragons in october and you can enjoy them for about an additional four months okay great yeah i'm not too much up on the ornamentals thank (laughs) you uh secondly um on the strawberries any good tips for keeping them from getting getting rotten and soured out when they're on the dirt like lay down a plastic bag under them or 
I'm not a big fan of plastic, but uh, you can put almost any kind of mulch down. Uh, if you want to put something underneath them, you can stick cardboard underneath them. Um, just the plastic tends to cut off the water movement and, more importantly, the oxygen movement True. back and forth in the soil. So, uh, if you want to put something Don't under stay them, fresh uh, with that mulch. Uh, I'm sorry. If they're touching it. Well, they'll, they'll stay fresh if, if they're laying on that mulch. The, the biggest problem with strawberries is pill bugs love them. Sow bugs, uh, roly-polies, whatever you want to call them. And most of the time when I find rotting berries, if I pick that berry, I'll notice that the bottom has been nibbled, at least to the point that that rot could get started. Uh, there is a totally non-toxic product called Sluggo, S-L-U-G-G-O, Sluggo Plus. If you get the pill bugs under control, I think you're going to find a lot less rotting. And if you want to just, you know, cut some cardboard strips from whatever UPS brought you yesterday, uh, that can certainly be used to raise them up off the ground. But I think your problem is is as much pill bugs as it is anything else. Okay, okay, good info. And then on the um, house in town, I'd be interested. I had a house a while back, and it had uh, buffalo grass, and Mm -hmm. that stuff just did great. Low maintenance. Even in droughty times, it, right. it stayed green. And I'm wanting to, uh, the house in town's in Stone Oak with a heavy uh, live oak canopy over the front and backyard with yeah. that St. Augustine and its struggles. Yeah. And I know that buffalo grass does well in the shade. What would be the success of stripping that out and starting a whole new stand of buffalo grass? Well, you know? my, I, I think your buffalo grass was in a sunnier area before because. Uh, I have found that the two issues with buffalo grass, it does not compete at all with other grasses, and it really takes a good deal of sun. Uh, um, if you've got a lot of shade cover, I'm afraid buffalo grass is probably not going to be a real good choice. Okay. I guess I just had a heck of a stand in that yard in the, in the past. It, it did pretty good. And You're right, mainly in the sun, but even in that one shady area like I have now, but, but it's still... Uh, did all right, but yeah. uh, here is so, so not what any good options for a, that. I mean, it's like a ninety percent canopy in the backyard. Well, there, there, now. there are a number of good ground covers that you could use. There are a number of fun plants, holly fern, and oh, uh, ten different things. There, are, there are a lot of plants that'll do well in the shade. But as far as grasses, it's about St. Augustine's about the only.